KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. In today's headlines, L.A.'s housing crisis, freedom of speech, the death, the Texas death penalty abolition movement, international news from non-NATO media outlets, along with Latin American and Caribbean news, and the community calendar. All this and more coming up. Here's our local news. The Los Angeles Times reports that the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors on Tuesday selected Acting Fire Chief Anthony C. Moroni to fill the post permanently amid calls by some firefighter groups for the supervisors to look outside the agency for a more diverse candidate pool. The board voted unanimously in closed session to ask the chief executive to enter into contract negotiations with Maroney. The appointment is expected to be finalized in a vote next week. The looming hire has frustrated some of the department's female and minority firefighters who said they expected the supervisors to look outside the department's top ranks, an echelon of the department long dominated by white males. L.A. Times, quote, I'm sure it's going to be a shock to everyone in the department, said firefighter, paramedic Johnny Gray, the third president of the L.A. County Stentorians, a group that advocates for black firefighters, along with other underrepresented groups. No one said it aired out to the rest of the county to maybe apply to it. I don't think the department knew as a whole this was happening, end quote. The president's the president of the Centurions, the Women's Fire League, and the Los Bomberos de la L.A. County sent a letter to the board before Tuesday's vote saying they wanted the board to carry out a national search for a new chief within the next three months. L.A. Times, quote, this action is critical to ensure equity in hiring and promotion within a department that has struggled for decades to do so, the letter said. If eternal promotion is the only path to the chief role, this pattern will continue in perpetuity. The department is currently faced with numerous accusations of harassment, retaliation, discrimination, racism, and intimidation, end quote. The fire, the county fire department is one of the busiest in the country, serving roughly 4 million residents. It responds to emergencies in all incorporated parts of the county, as well as in roughly 60 cities that contract with the agency. Since its founding, the department has remained largely white and male. The board appointed the department's first black chief, Daryl L. Osby, in 2011. No woman has held the top post. When Osby stepped down from last stepped down last summer after 11 years, the supervisors named Maroney a department veteran as acting chief while they looked for a permanent hire. Like the authors of the letter, Maroney said he too believes the department needs to do more to uplift the firefighters who rarely make it to the top ranks. Quote, People of color and women under Chief Osby's leadership for 11 years have made great strides, he said. It's an ongoing process. There's more work to be done. I think I'm prepared. I have the skills necessary to lead that fight. End of quote. Maroney is supported by the Los Angeles County Firefighters, Local 1014, the union representing roughly 3,400 county firefighters. Union President David Jalot wrote to the board last week that the department had been, quote, to tell to hell and back the last few years, end quote, and needed a permanent leader to boost morale. Jalot urged the board to make Maroney permanent in the instant. 
But minorities within the fire department said they need a leader who will make a priority to tackle what they say is persistent sexism and racism within the department. Some have questioned whether Maroney is that person. Gray said he consistently hears about derogatory remarks directed toward black firefighters. A few years ago, he said he spoke with the fire, the black fire department employee who told Gray a white crew was calling him the N-word backwards every time they walked by. Gray, who has been with the department for 12 years, said that he had heard this this month of another black firefighter who was called the same racial, racial slur. Supervisor and board chair Janice Hahn said she takes these concerns seriously. Supervisor Hilda Salas says she trusted the news chief will make addressing the lack of diversity within the department a priority. On Thursday, February 23rd, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors and the L.A. County Department of Economic Opportunity, DEO, will announce the launch of Phase 2 of the Economic Opportunity Grant program for qualified micro-businesses, small businesses, and nonprofits in L.A. County. DEO launched Phase 1 of the EOG program on January 25, 2023, initially accepting applications only from micro-businesses at $1,500 or $20,000 per grant and nonprofits at $20,000 or $25,000 per grant. EOG will will award more than $54 million across 6,800 grants to regions and organizations adversely affected by COVID-19. These grants are funded through the California Office of the Small Business Advocate and the Federal American Rescue Plan. The VC Star reports that Murray Rosenbluth, the former Point Winnemi mayor and a champion of social justice, died Saturday at St. John's Regional Medical Center. Point Winnemi will celebrate its 75th year as a city next month, although the former township runs back much longer. W.C. Bernard founded the township of Winema in 1869, said Beverly Kelly of the Point Uwenimi Historical Society Museum. It was one of the three townships that divided up the newly created Ventura County. Later losing its residence to upcoming Oxnard, it was renamed Winema in 1874, and, and in 1940, Port Winema became its name. And today, City Council wants to change its name to Winnemi Beach to attract tourists. However, voters said no to the name change. Another revenue source for this soon-to-be 75-year-old city has come from early adoption of legalized cannabis operations. The city was the first in Ventura County to open cannabis dispensaries following state legalization. By the end of the current fiscal year on June 30th, Port Wionimi expects to collect nearly $2.6 million in sales tax from the dispensary, the city budget shows. Rebel Alliance News celebrates Black History Month. This is a clip from a recent episode of the Now Men's Show, featuring the myth of time with Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. from videographer Matt Arfala. A 2016 clip with journalist Robert Shear and Dr. Cornell West that was recorded at Occupy Los Angeles in 2011. We must honestly admit certain things and get rid of certain myths that have constantly been disseminated all over our nation. One is the myth of time. It is a notion that only time can solve the problem of racial injustice. And there are those who often sincerely say to the Negro and his allies in the white community, why don't you slow up? Stop pushing things so fast. Only time can solve the problem if you will just be nice and patient and continue to pray, in a hundred or two hundred years, the problem will work itself out. That is an answer to that myth. It is that time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. 
I'm sorry to say this morning that I'm absolutely convinced that the forces of ill will in our nation, the extreme rightists of our nation, the people on the wrong side, have used time much more effectively than the forces of goodwill. And it may well be that we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the vitriolic words and the violent actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. Somewhere we must come to see that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals who are willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the primitive forces of social stagnation. So we must help time and realize that the time is always right to do right. We, we have some very bright, important, bright moments in our history. We mm -hmm. had abolitionists. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, we had Tom Paine before that. Yes. Uh, we had people who would tell us the truth and would work for progress. We had Martin Luther King, who, by the way, everybody forgets because now Martin Luther King is a cold statue in Washington, but I published Martin Luther King in Ramparts magazine. I knew Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. and I was in the South during some of the civil rights stuff. I was just one obviously of many, many people. But everybody forgets Martin Luther King's speech at Riverside Church in New York, where he said, how do I tell a young kid in the ghetto to shun violence when my government is the major purveyor of violence in the world today? Yeah. Martin Luther King. Yeah. Okay, he was talking about the massive bombing, carpet bombing in Vietnam, and he based it, by the way, uh, on reading Ramparts mm -hmm. magazine, mm -hmm. an mm -hmm. article we had about those atrocities. Uh, and so let's not forget, you know, that, that the, the, the good people, so-called, the, the, the lesser evil people, have created a lot of evil in this world. Yes. Oh, always to allow suffering to speak. Suffering from wherever it comes. We are an inclusive group. Yes. Tea Party brothers and sisters look like the audience for Lawrence Welk in the National. <laughs> yeah. I ain't got nothing against Lawrence Welk in bubble. <laughs> we look more like an audience for Lupe Fiasco. Oh, we look more like an audience for Carol King and James Taylor. Yeah, we look more like an audience for Prince. That's the kind of audience we got. Yes, we come against the grain, but it's uncommon humanity. So yes, we are open to prophetic Mormon brothers and sisters if they believe that corporate greed ought to be eliminated. That's right. Give the prophetic Mormon brothers and sisters a hand right now if they want to come here and join the movement. Thank you, Dan Nauman. The Hollywood area reveals why trickle-down housing policies don't work. Here is a report from Dick Platkin. If you still believe that the worsening housing crisis is caused by a housing shortage, that it can be solved by gutting zoning laws, 
so real estate speculators have a free hand, you should look at L.A. Hollywood's neighborhood for a reality check. In Hollywood, the rampant construction of new high-rent, high-rise apartment buildings has totally discredited these planning policies. They have increased housing costs and traffic congestion, forced residents into homelessness, demolished low-priced housing, reduced population, and transit ridership, and taxed old infrastructure. Quite a list of trickle-down accomplishments. The panacea of zoning deregulation in Hollywood's case parcel level entitlements that City Hall reflexively grants to developers has led to flipping and the construction of expensive apartment towers with high vacancy rates. The imagined benefits of trickle-down planning policies advanced by ambitious academics, L.A. Times editorialists, and guest columnists and major city planning departments have been disproven in Hollywood. A perfect example is Richard Glazer's and Ada Turkey's opinion ad in the February 19th, 2023 LA Times, where the title is, Reforms Haven't Created Enough Housing. Here are a few of their dubious claims, followed by Platkin's debunking. Their claim, LA's housing shortage drives prices up. Platkin's response, no. Housing prices relentlessly rise in LA because corporate speculators pay cash for housing and for houses and apartments. This is their business model for generating quick profits since LA renters now shell out 40 billion per year to keep a roof over their head. Furthermore, LA's housing shortage only applies to low-priced housing, not market rate and luxury housing which have much higher vacancy rates. Another one of their claims is that L.A. must incentivize private developers to bring down housing costs. Platkin's response, no. Los Angeles has endless miles of commercial corridors already zoned for large apartments. Plus, developers can easily evade existing zoning laws through transit-oriented community incentives. Nevertheless, developers still shun these parcels despite these permissive zoning laws and easily discarded height, density, and parking requirements. Another claim is the California Senate Bill 9, which allows single-family lot splits and twin duplexes, has flopped because it does not allow enough housing. And Platkin's response is no. Senate Bill 9 predictably failed because few homeowners want to demolish their own house, move to a rental for several years, subdivide their lot, and then build and operate two duplexes. This business model is designed for machinizers, but they make much more profit with much less hassle by building and selling a single McMansion. Plantigan further states the authors have ignored three critical questions. The first question being, where would large corporate built housing subdivisions be located? Los Angeles is totally built out, is a built out older city, and Porter Ranch, dating back to 2002, was L.A.'s last undeveloped open space. This is why new housing in Los Angeles is located at infill state sites, which require developers to push or buy out existing residents before bulldozing their houses or small apartment buildings. The second question is, what about upgrading infrastructure and public services to serve the new building and residents? At present, Los Angeles, especially in the older neighborhoods like Hollywood, targeted by developers, has failing infrastructure and public services. Furthermore, L.A. has no monitoring programs, up-to-date infrastructure and public services plans, or capital budgets to upgrade a neighborhood's infrastructure and services so it can meet the needs of new buildings and residents. And the last question Who will rent these new apartments? New housing is expensive, and L.A., unlike Glendale and other nearby cities, does not have an inclusionary housing ordinance. In L.A., new apartment buildings have no legal obligation to include low-priced units. If Glazer, Turkey, 
and their local disciples truly want to reduce homelessness, they should stop shilling out for big developers and start calling for funded programs that, number one, preserve existing low-priced housing, two, strengthen rent control, three, index wages to the cost of housing, four, restore terminated HUD and CRA public housing programs, and finally, prevent real estate speculators from buying up houses and apartments. Platkin says the ball is in their court. Dick Platkin is a retired Los Angeles city planner who reports on local planning issues for City Watch LA. He serves on the board of United Neighborhoods for Los Angeles. Previous Planning Watch columns are available at City Watch LA archives. KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Talking points with Hal G. Lore explains how supporting KPFK relates to Californians having and maintaining freedom of speech on the radio. That's right, Red Star Rebels. Our friends at listeners supported KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles are having a winter fun drive. And every year since 1959, they fought the good fight to bring in enough money to keep a place on the airwaves where real voices for freedom and justice can still be heard. No corporate messaging to spread, no sponsors to offend with inconvenient truths, and no Wall Street parent company stock prices to worry about. Just the day-to-day fight of trying to figure out how to keep public broadcasting on the air in a time when just a few media conglomerates own almost every other soapbox in the public space. A fight to preserve one of the last real modern incarnations of freedom of speech. A place where even a relatively new and small hashtag new at media group like Red Star Report can find a radio voice. A fight we Red Star Rebels need to support if California's real progressive values really mean what we believe them to mean. So I begin tonight's Red Star Report talking point by asking everyone hearing this to go to KPFK's website Go to the donate section and make a pledge to keep KPFK 90.7 Los Angeles on the air. Red Star Rebels, the California independence movement needs this. Because for tonight's talking points, we have to ask, does America still even have freedom of speech? We've all heard the capitalist version of the golden rule that goes, he who has the gold makes the rules. What's hard to actually get and keep our heads around is that in the last quarter century, he who has the gold is also the one who hires lobbyists to write the rules. He creates super PACs to buy and control politicians to pass and defend the rules. He promotes Supreme Court justices to interpret and enforce the rules. And most important for this conversation, he owns the corporate media that frames the narrative about the rules even down to the point of ending any semblance of net neutrality when he can simply buy an entire internet media company and deplatform anyone or anything he disagrees with. A modern reality that's created a paradigm where corporations are now considered we the people and money is speech. So effectively in keeping with the basic tenets of American capitalism, the First Amendment has now been privatized. So question, does America still even have freedom of speech? Actually, no. With the monetization of public discourse, what we as Californians see happening across the United States can pretty easily be explained by the term feedom of speech, as in fee, where pay-to-play politics now have almost unlimited control over the narrative in every aspect of the media. Stock prices and market share are the driving force, rather than honest messaging and an informed public a corporate state media that any fascist dictator would be proud of. We at Red Star Report say it's all about the algorithms, but even those Internet algorithms are limited by the amount of bandwidth privately owned companies allow websites to access based on profit. Which means in America, no matter how right the cause, how true the message, or how needed the information, if it doesn't fit the capitalist agenda America wants to promote, it's just not going to happen. And God help us if it all goes off the air and those voices are silenced. This is Talking Points with Hal G. Laura speaking for the hashtag New Cal Exit Podcast Red Star Report as heard on KPFK 90.7.
Los Angeles Rebel Alliance News. Thank you, Hal G. Lore. You heard the man. Let's go to kpfk.org and pledge securely online. And let's continue exercising our freedom of speech here at 90.7 FM, KPFK. Now some national news. The death penalty carries the inherent risk of executing an innocent person. According to the Washington, D.C.-based Death Penalty Information Center, since 1973, at least 190 people who had been wrongly convicted and sentenced to death in the U.S. have been exonerated. Here's Gloria Ruback, co-founder of the Texas Death Penalty Abolition Movement. When we talk about the death penalty, one issue actually a pivotal issue in every state that has abolished the death penalty in the last 15 years is the issue of innocence. That is the issue that wins over hearts and minds. Now, 190 prisoners have been exonerated since 1983, and there's an organization called Witness to Innocence that many of these people belong to. Today, the data shows that for every eight people who have been put to death, one person has been exonerated. That is not a good batting average. One innocent person exonerated for every eight executions. But the more we learn about what actually happens in these cases, the worse the problem actually gets. Our legal system, our injustice system, as I call it, is run by people and people make mistakes. And as long as the legal system involves humans, it's guaranteed there's going to be mistakes. But most innocent people who are wrongly convicted and sent to death row do not get there by mistake. The data from these 190 exonerations shows that far more frequently, and particularly with people of color, innocent death row prisoners were convicted because of a combination of police misconduct, prosecutorial misconduct, and perjury or other false testimony. When we look at exonerations, I do want to say that Florida has the most exonerations of any state with 30 since 1973, followed by Illinois with 21 and Texas with 16. The executive director of a group called Witness to Innocence is a man named Kirk Bloodsworth, and he was actually the first death row survivor to be exonerated by DNA. But he says that he is certain that innocent people are still on death row today and With such a large number of mistakes uncovered, there's no need to even wonder, but we can be sure that innocent people have been executed. And I know here in Texas, I can name people that I would bet my life on who were innocent and executed. The average time a death row exoneree spent in prison on death row for a crime they did not commit is 11 and a half years. But that number of years is actually higher for people of color. 4.1% of people currently on death row are likely to be innocent, according to the National Academy of Sciences, according to the Death Penalty Information Center, and according to Witness to Innocence. Witness to Innocence is an exclusive organization, and you don't, you don't want to be a member of it. Because it's an organization of, by, and for death row exonerees. Their mission is to empower the exonerated death row survivors to be the most powerful and effective voice in the fight to end the death penalty in the U.S. Through their public speaking, testifying in state legislatures, their media interviews, Members of Witness to Innocence expose the reality that innocent people are sentenced to death. They were convicted and put on death row due to the following issues. Eyewitness error, poor legal representation, racism, prosecutorial misconduct, 
the presentation of erroneous evidence, false confessions, junk science, and DAs relying on unreliable jailhouse snitches. And just a word about false confessions. People think, well, nobody who's innocent would ever falsely confess. But a surprising number do, particularly young people, people that don't have a lot of education or sophistication, who are manipulated and tripped up and so confused by district attorneys that they confess. I have a friend that did that. I couldn't even believe it. But anyway, given these facts, can anyone really think that any state in the U.S. should be in the business of executing people? My answer is a loud no. Reporting from Houston, Texas, this is Gloria Ruback with the Texas Death Penalty Abolition Movement. You can follow our organization on Facebook, The Texas Death Penalty Abolition Movement, and you have to put the the in front of Texas Death Penalty Abolition Movement. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. Here is our KPFK Rebel Alliance International News. The political seesaw ride continues for the right and left in the Latin American Caribbean region. Don DeBar speaks with journalist Stefan Septon for more. Today we travel to Central and South America and the Caribbean to take a look at the continued political wrangling in the region between the forces of the empire and the forces of the people. For more on that, we go to Esteli, Nicaragua to speak with journalist Stephen Sefton. Stephen, uh, thank you for uh, joining us again. As always, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you very much, Don. I'm looking forward to our conversation. As am I. So, you know, looking at what's in the uh, media this week in the region there, um, the same contradictions that we've been kicking around for a few years now that are, you know, sort of blatantly manifest in uh uh, politics in the region, um, this tug of war uh, between some of the parties call themselves, you know, of the right and uh, left, maybe right, rightist and leftish, um, certainly representing uh, on the one hand those that want to adhere to uh, the uh, international, you know, uh, imperial structures, the United States in particular. And others are more interested in locally based or regionally based uh, uh, constructions, um, integration regionally, etc. And both in the electoral sphere and in terms of um, you know other extra electoral activities such as coups, uh, soft and and otherwise, uh, one side or the other gaining the upper hand. And particularly, it seems that the battleground is in the countries that are. Um, the most progressive in terms of their politics and in terms of uh, their economic development, uh, with the exception of Cuba, we're saying because Cuba's been stable despite all the efforts of the U.S., but Venezuela, uh, Nicaragua, um, Ecuador, uh, uh, Bolivia, uh, Honduras, you know, a coup in 2009 in Honduras, and then the election last year with the uh, leftist party winning and an uprising against the leftist president that was elected inside her own party. Uh, the same with Lenny Moreno a few years ago uh, uh, when he was elected president on uh, the, you know, on the platform of the uh, leftist party. So now we're seeing, you know, a display of this uh, in several places. Maybe you could talk about that. We've been talking about this in our conversations for many, many years now, Don. And uh, 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 I think it's the, what, what essentially we're saying has been quite well summarized in a very useful interview by Dr. Francisco Dominguez, a, a Chilean uh, now currently based in, in the United Kingdom. And the, his, the interview with him called Undefeated Revolutions has been published on Corsatan News, which is a Bolivia-based uh, English language um, uh, news outlet covering Latin America. Um, and basically, what, what uh, Dr. Dominguez uh, uh, says is what we've been saying, you and I, for a long time. The, the fundamental reality in Latin America as regards and the, the so-called 
uh, pink tide and conservative restoration phenomena. The, uh, the, those those phrases really uh, do very little to explain what 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 it's really all about. Um, he argues that essentially the right wing gains over the last ten years or so, or so, certainly since some. Um, the uh, the coup against Fernando Lugo, the soft coup against Fernando Lugo in Paraguay in 2012, and arguably uh, from the Honduran the coup in Honduras against uh, President Mel Zelaya Manuel Zelaya in 2009, he argues that the governments that result from that kind of right wing reaction, uh, strongly supported and promoted, and in many cases organised by the United States government. Those governments are bound to be unstable because they don't meet the needs and aspirations of the impoverished majorities um, in the region, in, in Latin America and the Caribbean. And that's, you know, and it, I, it, to, to you and me, and we've been, we've been arguing that for a long time, but it's, it's, I think it's quite important that somebody like um, Dr. Dominguez actually puts it so succinctly um, in the interview that appeared in Corsachin News. And um, you can see uh, at one, of, one of the points that um, uh, Dominguez makes is that, as you pointed out, that um, Cuba, Nicaragua and Venezuela, to some extent Bolivia, um, have successfully resisted uh, U- US attempts to destroy their their, their revolutions, essentially. And I, I, I think that what Evo Morales achieved in Bolivia with his colleagues in the mass was de- was definitely revolutionary. It completely turned, turned the country around in many ways, socially and economically. And even though the right wing succeeded with their coup in 2019, with total support uh, from the United States uh, government, that was... in. Very surprisingly, for for me, I was I was surprised that the Bolivian popular movement and the forces that supported uh, the uh, Evo Morales and um, the uh, uh, Lucio Arce, the the current president, um, they were able to overcome that coup in a year, um, which is uh, astonishing in to, in the context of uh, Latin America's history over the last. 50, 60, 70 years. It was. And so the, uh, what, what Dominguez points out is that these governments, uh, Bolivia, Cuba, uh, Nicaragua and Venezuela, have been able to resist uh, the, the attempts by the United States u- using all, all the means that the United States has at its disposal. Like, I mean, the, they, 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 uh, the United States has been unable to overthrow throw those regimes using, sorry, those those governments using their regime change toolbox, which includes lawfare, um, illegal coercive measures that many people call sanctions, when in fact the only legal sanctions that can be applied are those um, uh, uh, agreed by the United Nations Security Council. So essentially, the, the the measures against Venezuela, the blockade against Cuba over the last sixty years, and they, they, these are completely illegal measures. As uh, other commentators like Ben Norton have pointed out uh, uh, very eloquently in in in, in, in different moments, um, and nor uh, and nor have they been able to mount in those countries um, successful. Uh, military coups, like they did in um, in Honduras, essentially, what happened in Honduras was a military coup, and the coup in Bolivia would not have succeeded without the um, uh, outright support of, of the great majority of the military, who sub- supported the coup regime until they didn't. Um, and so, uh, what what essentially what uh, uh, Dominguez is saying is that it is possible to resist the um, uh, attempts by the United States and its European Union allies and Canada, of course, to um, impose their uh, imperialist uh, arrangements in the region. Um, And then uh, I I, I think it's worth talking a little bit about 
you know, what is the nature and what is the nature of, and in particular in my case, uh, I, I'm very conscious of the fact that here in Nicaragua and that we see it also in Venezuela and Cuba. And if you, if you think about what is the state, the state is um, uh, in, in many, in many senses, the body that is uh, allowed the legitimate use of force to protect um, the, 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 the respected countries from their enemies. And uh, also in Nicaragua and Cuba and Venezuela's case, the state is a decisive uh, social and economic actor um, promoting the interests of the impoverished majorities in those countries. And that's really what makes the difference because in Cuba, Venezuela and Nicaragua, um, the army and the police are loyal to the uh, socialist revolutionary governments in those countries. Um, and those uh, socialist revolutionary governments have been able to sustain themselves in power because they do meet the needs and aspirations of their country's majorities. And, and obviously I know best uh, Nicar Nicaragua, but in, in, in Nicaragua's case, for example, in the last municipal elections, the ruling party in perfectly legitimate elections um, won all 153 municipalities um, in the country. And the reason that, that, that they won uh, all, all those municipalities was what we've seen in Venezuela and other, other uh, places where the right wing is so divided that they, they hate each other more than they hate the more than they're able to um, attack the government that they they claim to be in opposition to. This is what we saw in Venezuela too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and so uh, uh, and and in and in Cuba. And if you look at Cuba, I, I regard Cuba in many ways as a model democracy. If you look at what happened as has happened over the last few years in Cuba, they've held um, national referendum in which well over 90% of the people vote. There's um, massive democratic participation uh, at, at a base level in, in, in Cuba, something that you just don't see in the countries that, uh, in such a hypocritical and cynical way, describe themselves as democracies, when they're actually plutocracies run for the benefit of their wealthy oligarchies. Yeah, in Cuba like, and, and in Venezuela, by the way, uh, that, that democratic participation included the redrafting of the Constitution and other basic law, basically. Yeah. And so, you know, and you, you, you have these countries that are challenging the dominant kind of neoliberal economic policies, the divisive identity politics that um, the Western elites are trying to impose in their societies to undercut um, any possible unification of, of, of a, a powerful popular movement um, addressing the fundament, fundamental economic issues of class, which are, which are still the decisive issues in, 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 in those countries. Um, and so, so you have uh, Bolivia, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela uh, offering a very strong example that uh, it, the United States and its allies try systematically to suppress. And so because they, they satanize it and demonize these um, very successful uh, uh, countries in terms of the social change and, the, and the, the, the economic change that these governments have, have managed to achieve in their countries. For example, in Bolivia, the, the, the massive shift towards the inclusion of indigenous peoples. Right. You know, that, that in Bolivia, that's a truly revolutionary uh, development. Yep. And so because they've been successful in, 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 in those terms, it's, it, the United States and its allies have devoted enormous resources to trying to discredit those revolutions. And that's why uh, social democrat politicians like Alberto Fernandez in Argentina, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador in Mexico, um, Gustavo Petro in Colombia, Gabriel Boric in um, Chile, and so on and so on, and, uh, 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 are so wary about offering support or, 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 or sympathy or, or recognition to the achievements of, um, in particular, 
Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela because they fear that that will be electorally damaging to them. Yeah, and that's a problem that they face across the region. Now, we're out of time, and we can pick this up next week, but certainly there's an awful lot to chew on here, and uh, it's definitely the lens that we need to look at uh, politics in the region through. So, Stephen, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we will get back with it next week. Yeah, thanks a million, Don. Look forward to that. Thank you. For KPFK, I'm Don DeBar. KPFK is a progressive media outlet challenging corporate media perspectives and providing a voice to the voiceless communities. Help keep KPFK a strong and independent source of music, arts, news, and information. Sometimes when you listen to a membership drive, you may feel like we're not talking to you. Maybe you feel like your contribution wouldn't be enough. Well, let me tell you a secret. Every contribution is important. Whether it's a single $25 gift, installments of $25 per month, or more, every listener's financial investment is valued. You depend on us to stay abreast of the news of the day, to know what's going on in our community and around the world, to offer great entertainment. We depend on you to help provide the funding that makes it all happen. Every pledge is important. Every donor is important. No matter what size check you're writing, go to kpfk.org and pledge securely online. Let us know how much you appreciate KPFK. We say thank you for every contribution, especially yours. Now, more international news provided by Polina Vasiliev. For KPFK, Rebel Alliance News, here are today's international highlights with a special focus on non-NATO media. We begin with the latest from Telesur English, with news from Haiti, Nicaragua, Mexico and Brazil. Haitian health authorities have registered 594 deaths from cholera and over 32,000 suspected cases almost five months after the resurgence of the disease. According to the National Ministry of Health and Population, 2,000 confirmed cases were reported in the 10 departments of the country, together with 22,469 are suspected cases and more than 28,000 have also been confirmed. And moving on, Nicaragua's on Tuesday paid homage to national hero General Augusto Cesar Sandino on the 89th anniversary of his murder. Thousands of Nicaraguans participated in the Sandino Siempre Más Allá walk held nationwide to commemorate the anniversary of the death of the also known as hero for Las Segovias. The march ended with a concert in an atmosphere of fraternity where workers from different unions and social sectors, Sandinista militants and supporters waved the red and black flag to the rhythm of the revolutionary music. And a U.S. District Court in New York finds a former Mexican Security Secretary, Genaro Garcia Luna, guilty of drug trafficking. The Mexican government considers justice to be served. The jury returned the guilty verdict on all five counts before Judge Brian Hogan, who will hand down the sentence on June 27th. Garcia Luna faces a maximum sentence of life imprisonment and a minimum of 20 years in prison. And Garcia Luna's lawyer, Cesar de Castro, said they will appeal the verdict and express both Garcia and his families are disappointed since they think the jury's decision was justified only on the basis of statements made by former security agents and drug lords. The government had no reliable evidence to corroborate their witnesses. Mr. Garcia Luna, his family, and the defense team trusted in the process and trusted that the jury would see through the government's case. We are very disappointed that it did not, but we respect the jury's decision. In Recife, Brazil, where Carnival resumed this week after being canceled for two years due to the COVID-19 pandemic, thousands of revelers came out to dance down the streets behind the Nothing Group. Our correspondent, Brian Mir, has more. In Recife, one of the historic epicenters of Brazil's street carnival, thousands of revelers from across the spectrum of the political left came out on Monday to celebrate nothing. It's a carnival thing. You create a fantasy, and our fantasy is nothing. 
But inside this nothing, there's a lot of leftists and a lot of happiness. Everything is different. The Bloco da Nada, or Nothing Group, started 20 years ago when Gerson da Silva couldn't find any paint for the white flag he had sewn to lead his new parade group. Although he was so disappointed he almost cancelled it, his wife suggested that he just go out anyway with a blank flag. As years passed, nothing became more than just a funny name. It began to symbolize the hope of a leftist utopia, which would have to start from nothing. And the group began inviting guest speakers from areas like philosophy and history to host debates about the concept of nothing. Brian Mir, Telesur, Hesifi. NATO and the European Union have accused Russia of escalating tensions over Ukraine after Moscow suspended participation in the New START arms control treaty. Jerome Hughes reports from Brussels. Senior NATO, EU and Ukrainian officials met in Brussels on Tuesday to discuss the war in Ukraine. The decision by Russia to step back from a 2010 nuclear arms control deal, the New START treaty, was criticized. More nuclear weapons and uh, uh, less arms control makes the world more dangerous. Regarding the treaty, some analysts claim it is the West that has been acting as the provocateur. After all, for weeks we have seen growing support amongst Russia's enemies for a large number of long-range missiles to be sent into Ukraine. NATO and the EU have agreed to help Ukraine establish its own weapons procurement system. The production of uh, warfare material in Europe today it is still not in accordance with the urgency in the front line. The US and its allies have provided Ukraine with at least 150 billion euro worth of arms in the past year. There is a growing anti-war sentiment in the EU. Mostly good for the weapon industry, I guess. So it's almost worse always about uh, making finances and stuff. We all want peace. It's a crazy situation. Of course, the prices, the rise of prices, yes, it's very worrying, yes. I hope, like, uh, the war is going to be, like, stopped as soon as uh, possible. There are regular calls in the European Parliament for peace talks. Dodici. Twelve months later, there is a risk this could become a permanent frozen conflict, not good for Ukrainian civilians or our citizens and businesses, dealing with price hikes and higher bills. Perhaps there was a certain degree of arrogance on display at the gathering in NATO on Tuesday. Although this is the first meeting that we held in this format, I already begin to regret that it will cease to exist when Ukraine will become members of both NATO and the EU. For a whole host of reasons, experts say the chances of that happening anytime soon are slim to none. For analysis of the suspension of the New START treaty by Russia, we turn to veteran Greek diplomat Leonidas Chrysantopoulos. Well, uh, first of all, it must be stressed to, to the West that it's on hold. They're not uh, cancelling the agreement, they're not, they're just freezing it. And that, uh, this is an important point that the West must understand because sometimes the West has problems in understanding. I think that uh, all, the, all the weapons that uh, the West is sending to the Ukraine played a major role in this decision, plus the fact that in the past, in the near past, uh, before the um, uh, military operation started in uh, Ukraine, Russia had asked to make, uh, to make inspections. And uh, these requests, according to the START treaty, were ignored. So this is why I think that uh, President Putin uh, decided to freeze it. And I stress again, he is freezing it. He's not uh, cancelling it. He's not uh, going out of it, etc. So this is an important point. German author and politician Christoph Horstel says Russia has the legal right to invade Germany in self-defense, but Moscow won't. 
because it is not aggressive. Okay, it's it's very clear in, that we are made to lose here. I said in the past, Germany is the guaranteed loser of the next war against Russia. And be careful about this. We signed the two plus four treaty. Yeah, we had the NATO Russia Act, and we and we violated both of them very thoroughly. Russia would have the legal right to invade Germany on a very short telephone, red telephone notice to Washington, Paris and London saying, look guys, we are coming, that's self-defense, that's allowed. So this is the situation here. Russia is not coming because they are not aggressive. The aggression sits solely and exclusively with Washington and the Europeans know it, but they are so corrupt, they are more afraid of their Washingtonian leaders than of their own voters and populations. That's the dirty fact here. On September 12, 1990, the foreign ministers of the Federal Republic of Germany, the German Democratic Republic, France, Russia, the UK and the US signed the 2 plus 4 treaty that sealed the foreign policy aspects of reunification. And that's all in today's international highlights from non-NATO media. For KPFK, I'm Paulina Vasilyev. KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. Thank you, Paulina. And what it is, KPFK, I'm Angela Birdsong, and here is your Rebel Alliance Community Calendar Tips. Santa Monica Playhouse presents Stogie Kenyatta's acclaimed one-man show, winner of the Hollywood Beverly Hills NAACP Award, The World is My Home, The Life and Times of Paul Robeson, Saturday, February 25th, 7 p.m. at the Santa Monica Playhouse, 1211 4th Street, near Wilshire Boulevard. For more information, go to SantaMonicaPlayhouse.com. Next Sunday, February 26, at 12 noon, Skip Townsend and Half Pint of 89 and Up is inviting you to bring your books, CDs, and other merchandise to 7625 South Central Avenue in Los Angeles so they can highlight your accomplishments. For four hours, 12 noon to 4 p.m., it will be all about you, and it is a, and it is their hope to use their influence to help yourselves and notoriety increase. No booth fee. Bring your own tent, tables, and chairs. Come and set up early. Keep It 100 presents the two-piece podcast featuring Donald Bell and comedian Ron G. Discussing anything having to do with relationships, love, and personal growth. Thursday, February 23rd, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Zoom and Facebook Live with host Carrie Neal. Register for this free event at donron2023.eventbrite.com. That's donron2023eventbrite.com. Join NAMI CEO Dan Gallison Jr. and motivational speaker Les Brown for a two-day mental health summit on February 25th and 26th. The live event will offer advice from mental health experts and wisdom from people with lived experience. Go to youarenotaloneevent.com for details. Also, NAMI Urban LA, Los Angeles, is having their Black History Month, Let's Celebrate Together, brings licensed clinical social worker James Combs to speak about self-care, healing, and resources for the African-American community. Saturday, February 25th on Zoom. 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Register at NAMI Urban LA. Remember, my sister, my friend, Breast Cancer Support and 100 Black Men of Long Beach present a Afro-Latinx Artistic Talent Showcase honoring Black History Month on Saturday, February 25th at Roscoe Restaurant, 730 East Broadway in Long Beach. To register in advance, call 855-778-1600 or check out my sister, my friend, bcs.net for more information about this free event. Range Projects Gallery presents a celebration of Black History Month, Rites of Passage, Digital Collages by Jesse Ujazi. Range Projects Gallery at 3718 West Slauson Avenue in Los Angeles. Open on Fridays 6 to 9 p.m. and Saturdays 3 to 7. The exhibition runs now to February 25th. 
Call 323-528-6839 for more details. Julia Smith is the curator. Well, these have been your calendar tips here at KPFK Rebel Alliance News. And remember, remember that we are here to serve you. We are here to provide the news that you will not hear at on ABC, NBC, CNN, or any other place. This is a place that you will hear things that you are not going to hear when you turn on your television and you have your remote in your hand. Or even when you're in your car and you're on other other news stations. Tune in to us, 90.7 FM, KPFK, and go to kpfk.org and pledge. Show us the love that you have for us. Show us that because we need your support to stay the course and renew and refresh our commitment to and our engagement with new generations and new communities to come. So KPFK is your key to peacemaking, freedom, and knowledge. I'm Angela Birdsong with More Than a Sparrow Productions, and you've been listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Thanks to our engineer, Wendell Handy, Polina Nasiliev, Don DeBar, Dick Platkin, the Red Star Report, and all Rebel Alliance News contributors. Join us again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Until then, let all that you do be done with love.